Good evening, good morning, wherever you are. I welcome you very much uh, to Radio Wolf, our weekly broadcast for consciousness and culture. I'm happy to have with us Gail Redbrook, co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, ecological activist, uh, scientist from, from her background. Uh, Gail, thank you for being with us. Um, I'm glad to be here, Thomas, thank you. Gail, I mean, we are in the midst of a lot of crisis right now. Uh, uh, there's uh, the virus crisis, there's an economic crisis. There is even on the background right now only uh, the, the crisis of the planet, uh, the ecological crisis, the extinction rebellion, just by its name uh, brings, uh, brings it to the point that we are talking about our extinction uh, as a possible near future possibility. Um, I would like to talk to you as being one of the founders of the Extinction Rebellion, but also has uh, people in Germany and all around the globe working on and, and bringing to our attention that the global uh, climate change is something that is much more urgent, much more direct than uh, we want to think, still want to think. Um, at the same time, I hear that you are also seeing this as a crisis of consciousness of our culture and consciousness of our civilization. And I would like to start with the question, where do you see the connection between the different crises that we're in right now, uh, the virus crisis, the climate crisis, the economic crisis, the social crisis, and what maybe we can call a crisis of consciousness? Yeah. Thank you. So I guess I see it in layers. We have a systemic layer. We have a political economy, generally called neoliberalism, um, very captured to uh, corruption. Uh, the economic mechanisms that focus on growth don't make sense to have an infinite growth on a finite planet and so on. Uh, I, I know more, obviously, about the UK case, uh, the media being very captured to promoting a certain narrative. I mean, obviously, there's some plurality in there, but the, 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 the mainstream has not been telling the truth on the crises. Uh, the capture to, um, uh, of our politicians to short-termism and so on. So there's systemic issues. And then uh, underneath that layer is a sort of cultural layer, the culture of consumerism, and it's fueled by a layer underneath, which I would call patriarchy, but you could use a different word. I mean, um, and from patriarchy emerges, you know, white supremacy and, and some of the other uh, really rabid social issues we're facing, the, the move uh, back in the direction of, of fascism. Um, and with, with, with patriarchy, I mean, my understanding is that it's uh, somehow a wound that some aspects of humanity suffered from, struggled with, maybe there was a traumatic event, and it has spurred some of, I say some of us, because we think it's all of us, but you know, indigenous cultures aren't in this wound. Um, I mean, they're affected by it. Um, and by that, I mean, the idea that the earth is scarce, that there's not enough to go around, that we're separated from each other and from our purpose and from nature. 
and that we're powerless to do anything. And from that kind of patriarchal wound, this desire to dominate, to extract, to take um, in a way that can never be satisfied. You know, it's uh, called the Rakshasas, I think, in Hinduism. It's the hungry ghost of Buddhism. In the Algonquin languages of uh, indigenous culture, it's Wetiko. You know, there's this hunger that can't be satisfied. And, I, I, you know, the layer underneath all of that, I guess, is our con connection to divinity, to the oneness, to um, the flow of life and purpose. And, and I think when you have that connection, you can recognise uh, patriarchal wounds for what they are, for trauma that need healing, and how they're showing up in our culture and then how they're showing up in our, you know, systemically. That's how I see it. Mm. And obviously, Extinction Rebellion wants to bring this to a public consciousness and a public awareness. And... Obviously, uh, you're also making the point that we don't have time, even that the time has run out. So what, what you're addressing are very deep structures in society, in culture, but also in all of us. It's uh, something that's not just out there, it's also in us. And how can we address this in a way that um, we can respond to Earth, that we can respond to the life forces? Uh, is there a way, is there a strategy, is there uh, an answer that allows us to respond to the urgency and to the depth of the crisis at the same time? I mean, again, to use those layers, I, I, I always say to people, the first thing to do is to really feel this thing, to really feel it. And it's hard to look at. It's like facing an abyss, um, to, to look and, and know that the time's now arrived it's not, we're not talking about the future, people struggling right now. We have our own uh, children who are questioning what future they have. I mean, they're already in a situation where they're being told not to have parties and not to do, you know, get off with each other, <laughs> in British phrase for, you know, sex and so on. Um, to not go and hang out and have fun at university. I mean, their lives are already being impacted because of it. I hope it's obvious, but the COVID crisis is part of this crisis, right? It's a zoonotic disease. They emerge more ramp rapidly under climate conditions, under climate chaos, and they're to do with biodiversity loss. So, you know, we're already in this thing. And so the first thing to do is to feel that to feel what 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 have we done you know what to look at it what have we done um and because I, I i think if you try and tackle this purely intellectually it you can't find the resilience or the moral force or the compunction to do what's needed um so it needs to tap into the emotion and the longing for life on earth i mean i think that's how i experience it on a spiritual or sacred level is that life's longing for itself and in that way through that grieving process and it is a process and it does come in waves and I always say to people don't do it on your own you know find other people to to talk to who will get it and you don't feel like you know insane with these feelings or alone um as, as, as you as you as you feel this thing I think there's 
it's it is also an opportunity because something can birth which is that our lives are bigger than us we have these short times to be on earth we have a time to be a good ancestor to what's coming and the consumer culture robs us of life it takes us away from life and so the climate crisis and ecological crisis as much as it's a the biggest horror you can sort of imagine it's also a gift to see the beauty in life and to appreciate it in the same way that if your friend was dying you wouldn't walk away from them and go oh, well they're going to die there's no point bothering anymore you'd be like so seeing and technical with their beauty and and, and 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 wanting that connection and i'm not trying to say that earth is dying because um you know, much of life is dying on Earth, that's for sure. We're in the sixth mass extinction event. Um, there are consequences for what we've done. Um, I don't, I think there's a, a requirement for some humility here that we don't really know what's unfolding. Mm. You know, what, what, what the bigger plan here is, but yeah. I, I, did I answer your question? I can't remember. Uh, no, you, you, you are. You're talking about that the response, first response is to feel it. And uh, it reminds me to something uh, that, in fact, in a radio interview like this, uh, Joe Brewer, you, who you probably know, uh, a system theorist uh, from, from America, uh, said to really be able to respond to our climate co co collapse is to remorse, to remorse yeah. about uh, what is really going on. Yeah. And uh, that very much resonated, resonated with me. And I understand that we have to be touched and be able to feel that. But at the same time, you also talked about consumer culture and talked about something that is bigger than us. Mm. Because if I just feel, I also can be very just personally panicking about the situation. And I guess that's not what you're calling for. So there's something where I personally have to be um, aware in a feeling sense what's going on, but I also have to have an understanding that there are are different layers, as you were explaining, of what is happening to us. How do you think that these different layers go together? Yeah, I mean, it's Greta Thunberg did say, um, I don't want you to feel hopeful, I want you to panic or something like that. So, I mean, I would say when, you know, I think that's quite right, it is a remorse and um, a grieving. And part of grieving is bargaining, you know, where you're like, oh, well, maybe this, maybe that. So I think it's always worth checking whether we're trying to pull ourselves away from the emotion of this too quickly sometimes, you know, because um, it's hard to face. And I think that when big things happen in people's lives, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the breakdown of a key relationship or, you know, losing your job or, you know, losing your health, and so on they they create these moments of crisis and we want to be told they're not quite true or there's do you know what i mean we want an escape route so i think i think that's part of a thing to observe you know witness conscience and all that in in, in each of us what are we doing what deals are we making with ourselves to make it be a bit okay um and then what's our what's our contribution and i think Again, the sort of patriarchal wound would have us from our guilt, from our shame, let's say, more from the shame, panic in a way that's, oh, I'll do this, I'll throw myself at this wall or I'll, you know, um, 
change my lifestyle dramatically or whatever in a way that can be coming from not a very healthy place so I think it's 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 worth checking in and I don't think it's for me to say to anybody what your particular path is obviously I'd love people to come and join Extinction Rebellion and get involved in that side of things but there are many other things that can be people can do including within a rebellion by the way there's lots of different roles and jobs to be done and I I, I think rather than you know I I sat um in prayer with in the winter solstice last year wondering what was needed and and it felt like it was such a strong message to really love life and to really celebrate life and in that way I feel that we're meant to bring our gifts forwards at this time you know it's it's not like guilt is something that shows us something's not right and something needs addressing in our lives sure and what's what are we being called to do because I think we're being called to really step up in a in a way that's largely joyful and purposeful I mean it it is so tedious this consumer culture where you know we lost our wonderful anthropologist David Graeber this September and he'd written this brilliant book called Bullshit Jobs so much of the work that we're asked to do or forced to do or submit to doing is is bullshit right we're being asked to do the work of repairing the harm now and uh, stopping the harm and it's sacred work, isn't it? So what's yours to, to do in these times? Find a way to make it happen. It's interesting listening to you because um, if I may say so, there's so much love for life and in some way also, uh, I would say, sorry, uh, optimism, what I hear. And one of them, main accusations that I hear against Extinction Rebellion is that Extinction Rebellion is something like a death cult. And uh, that, uh, that uh, also the aesthetics that you're having and, and the message that you're bringing, basically, we all doomed. Uh, there, there, there is a contradiction between the way I hear you talking and the way how Extinction Rebellion is portrayed, at least in some media. Uh, where do you think this uh, discrepancy comes from? I mean, I, I loved I loved it so much when we really got the artists joining the rebellion because that's what brings forwards brings the message to life. And um, there are different things that need to be said in different ways at different times. And we sometimes have skulls and so on. And I have said, to, to some extent, I experienced some of the kind of more uh, we're fucked type of messaging is quite. I don't mean tongue in cheek, as in we don't. Agree. We, we, we do think we're fought, we do think we're in a mess right but it's also there's there's something kind of uh how to say it there's a there's a lightness in just naming it you know it's it's not let's just say it we're with I mean that's how we say it and it's a slightly youthful thing in the UK we're fucked you know like it doesn't feel that uh we're then supposed to crawl in a pit and just not not emerge you know <laughs> we're not asking people to lay down and die so that's why I don't think we're a death cult we're asking people to live and and actually I've had so much fun in Extinction Rebellion I mean the Samba bands for example those that are part of the Samba band are just amazing and um lift such a tribal energy and uh, joy and purpose it group group energy uh it, it's it's not uh, I mean you know endless Zoom meetings and work to be done and some of it's boring and hard work like any any purposeful thing that we need to do has its has its moments of they're a bit joyless but um, we, we're not 
here to bring misery we're here to bring truth you know like the the science is it's it's you can't argue with science really that's what it is um yeah it's it's interesting because of course the message of extinction rebellion i mean it's in the name uh, there's <laughs> it's pretty clear uh, what the name is about and uh, the name is backed up with science uh, that it's not uh, five minutes to 12, it's much more than that. And um, there are enough analysis where basically uh, it says we, in some can, we are doomed. Uh, there, there is no uh, realistic way out. We will have to go to a major crisis to make a turnaround. So I take this as being for granted that this is just how it is. But at the same time, uh, you seem to have spirit. Let's call it that way. Where do you take the spirit from? What gives you spirit in all of this? I mean, if we are, if I may use the British word, if we are fucked, uh, uh, where's the place for spirit in this? Well, you know, in some ways, when there's nothing left to grasp onto, then then the, the invitation is to live. There's something in consumer culture that's death phobic that doesn't want us to focus on the reality of our short lives you know and 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 so you've you face not only your own mortality uh the the huge risks that we're in and as i say it's like what what life are you being called into and you, you know i mean the, the thing is here that there, there is so much possibility i mean it's not that we couldn't sort this thing out uh we'll we'll still have major problems but if we had what you might think of as like a post-war effort or a I, you know I, I don't really like bringing in the the the, the war sort of spirit for oh, hopefully of, of obvious reasons but we when humanity has put its mind to some big effort it has done amazing things uh the rapid transition alliance uh, based in the uk made a video with the bbc about how we laid entire railways in a weekend um built many aeroplanes or what you know i'm sure recently uh that they've turned turned around many many uh ventilators for example so there is so much that we could do if we've truly focused and um i think the most hopeful thing within that from my point of view is knowing that nature will heal herself if we Mm -hmm. would only get out of the way and I you didn't look around at all the patches of land that just here and there and think, what if we just let nature have that back? You don't have to do anything uh, in some places with rewilding it. You know, there might be interventions that are also helpful. We can turn our farming into ecological farming, agroecology. And the biggest opportunity for carbon capture and storage is in our soil, uh, both of carbon atoms and, and, and in the... Um, creatures of the soil and a healthy pasture and that can be done quickly you know it, it and that, we have to heal our soils anyway because by the way they're fucked as well <laughs> like the oceans and the rivers so why don't you know the the solution for many of the, for, for, for one of the crises is the solution for them all it's about localizing the economy then it's about having healthier food it's about good work for everybody it all comes together so you know we have to take on the political economy and I just 
I guess you asked me where to have spirit from. I think partly from that thing I said earlier in that I think there's a piece of hubris if you think you know what's happening or what's supposed to be done or, you know, how this is going to play out because one doesn't, there's to me, there's the great mystery and who knows what's at play here and whether consciousness shifts through a big, a big wound and a big heat. Who knows? I mean, I just feel like I'm on this earth at this time. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's it's not I'm not the great designer or whatever we want to say um and but then also uh, the, the this political economy and this uh which is the kind of most like unpleasant manifestation of the patriarchy it's 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 got to the I mean we're talking today on on election day right in the US of of the most uh you know toxic narcissistic show of like just that's what it looks like <laughs> that's how bad it gets you know um the misogyny and anti-semitism and racism that's showing up showing itself that's been hidden it's not it's not like new stuff it, that's what was there folks but it's showing do you see what i mean it's it's like it's all coming to the surface and i just think there's such opportunity for change and um I asked you before we started speaking about what you meant by sacred activism, because for me, being rebellious is a slightly childish word in some ways, but it, it can be an initiatory act because you, we, we are in this system, we're creating it with our consciousness. And when you do something rebellious, there's a place where you're telling yourself in your spirit, this is not mine. I'm not, I'm not standing in this anymore. And whether that's standing in the street, refusing to move, or what I'm working on right now is something called money rebellion, which is a refusal to pay certain tax taxes or debts. We, we, we just so have the power, folks, to stop this madness. We have to kind of step up. And I think it requires us to be courageous and it requires us to come together. And that, that, that why wouldn't we want to do that? It's interesting that you... Uh call being rebellious as being an initiation in something because uh, there is there are ways of being rebellious i mean in some way it, uh, to be rebellious is a way to liberate yourself from certain identities that you are basically used to live in in that sense it is an initiation but there's also a form of rebellious where it's easy to uh point the finger let's put it that way but i i think um the initiation that you're talking about goes beyond just seeing this and this and this has to change. It's an initiation in the way we perceive life. What is the initiation that you're talking about? Yeah, and I, I thank you for saying about that finger pointing thing, because one of our principles and values in Extinction Rebellion is no blaming and shaming. You know, I obviously referred to Trump earlier and there's certain behaviours that we, uh, we're not going to hesitate to point out. Uh, People are a product of the operating system of the consciousness that we're running at the at the minute. And um, my understanding of initiation is that it's something that you decide you're going to do and it's scary, some part of it you're resistant to, and you have a deep sense that it's the right thing to do. And um, so you 
you walk forwards and step into this thing and out the other side you're a different person having having done that you know you've grown up I think in the indigenous cultures we're not grown up till 52 um so we've got you know I've got still got a few years to go but I think and I also we're often called I think little brother little sister in the west and I think this is part of it we have to grow up and we we're a culture that lacks initiation and I think um this is one way of self-initiating I mean there's other things that people need to do as well but uh, let me ask it the, the other way around also because rebellious are I mean, there's some, something very powerful about being rebellious but there's something also uh quite dangerous about being rebellious let's put it that way uh, a populist rebellion is also a form of rebellion and I'm sure if uh, let's if you talk about Trump for example there are a lot of people, and I don't want to blame them either, who vote for him out of rebelliousness against the establishment. And uh, to some degree, I understand that because there, there is also truth to that. Maybe the I would not agree with the conclusions, but it seems that um, you're talking uh, to a different point or to a deeper point. Uh, what's the difference between a kind of a populist understanding and a populist blaming uh, uh, against, the rebel against the establishment and what you think we have to wake up to. And I mean, of course, you know, and we've had the same thing in the UK with Brexit. Uh, it's, it's a capture of and a, and a, and a, a, a redirection of, of energy um, because it's so establishment. There's just a fight in the establishment in particular between those that are focused more on on finance and those focused more on property that's my understanding of it. it's just an argument on the right there's nothing rebellious about it at all you've just been pulled from one team to the other right um uh and and um you know there are lots of emotions and senses of things not being right people have you know people have a sense that they're being manipulated and before you know it they can be brought into thinking that there's some big conspiracy going off I mean like basically there is in the sense that there's a lot of people conspiring but you don't have to um you don't have to believe in some kind of wacky conspiracy theory you just need to look at some decent journalism about what's happening in secrecy jurisdictions or whatever or you know people have a sense that they're being uh, mistreated um or that um some people are getting more than they should be, but all these things get grabbed and, and scapegoating. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just a, a capture and distortion. And I think that the, I, I don't particularly want to get massively into the polarity of the left and right, because obviously it's more three-dimensional than that. But in that way, the right seemed to be quite clever at organizing people and using the sort of you know weaponization of big data tools and all the rest of it to 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 do mass manip manipulation and i think there's um a question of at least on what i might call the progressive left of of strategy and and how we work together across our differences to actually create effective social movements um so I, you know, I, 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 I think that uh, I, I, here's where I think there's a difference. You know, how much, how much are you able to get people on the streets and sustain that? Um, you know, you can, 
you can wind people up and fire them up, but can you get them organized in a social movement? Um, that, that, that I, 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 I kind of doubt that. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking that question as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, well, you know, the tea party and others have done a, a pr pretty decent job probably. So may, maybe they can. Um, but I, I, I tend to, I, I guess I think that there's, you know, when you're um, carried by love, that it has more endurance it's harder to get to it's harder to stay with because there's so much comes up and is in the way of it isn't it the sort of like immediate emotions of hatred of 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 anger of of, of fear they're easier to stimulate to, to 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 tap into love and to really hold that within a movement is a i think is what we've been asked to do you asked me in the pre-conversation and you brought it up in the conversation itself why we uh, with Evolve also use the word sacred activism. And isn't that what you were just touching on by uh, the love that needs to be brought center stage? Also related to uh, the um, recognition that there's something sacred about life itself, about our relationships. And that when we talk about uh, the progressive left, the word sacred is something that's definitely uh, a difficult word. And um, just to be able to liberate the word sacred and to take away kind of old churchy uh, understanding of what it means, but to understand uh, that uh, every one of us has an understanding if somebody says nothing is sacred to me, that it gives you shivers and you don't have to have a certain metaphysical understanding of sacred. There's something in our relationship to life where if we just acknowledge that there's something sacred in the core of it, the relationship to life itself, the relationship to each other, and also the relationship to people we disagree with changes. And that um, a form of activism that puts this also center stage, uh, that we, even how we organize society, how we organize economy, uh, sacredness since the medieval time has no place in that. It's efficiency, it's not sacredness. That, that, that there is something in the way uh, we organize, we see and we relate to life that uh, goes terribly wrong by our uh, completely missing the point that, there, that there's something sacred underneath all of it. Mm. I think it's Wendell Berry said something like, there's no unsacred places, just sacred places and desecrated places. And I think it's easier to think of sacredness when you think of land, you know, really beautiful land. And I, 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 I mean, I agree. I think that uh, what we want in, what, what means so much to us is beauty and quality. Um, and that things can be still useful within that. But when things are just a, a machine to create money, or it has lacks so much beauty um it's painful to be around um but I, I guess i was asking you that because i've heard that phrase sacred activism and i, I i've sometimes been a bit suspicious of it i i've wondered i think because i think i've heard different definitions and i when it's sort of meaning activism that understands that there's I mean, so activism as in political activism that understands that there's something sacred here that's wanting to be 
seen or birthed. Uh, but I, I think I've sometimes understood it, at least from some quarters, to mean that the action, the act of uh, working on yourself, let's say, inner work, is 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 activism. It's sacred activism, and to an extent, I agree with that. In the in that we we taught another principle and value of Extinction Rebellion is our regenerative culture. We say we want to have a regenerative culture. We're working towards it, and part of that is inner work, understanding that you know we're all going to bring our strengths and our weaknesses and our baggage and all that to the work we do. And um, a wonderful woman, Mickey Cashtan, that I work with, talked about purpose-led healing. Uh, and I, I, I think the reason why someone, let's say the progressive left, look at some people that might think of themselves as spiritual activists with some suspicion is that it can look indulgent. Um, it can look like, are these folks ever going to get off the yoga and meditation mats and actually get on the streets, you know, uh, where, where we're also needed? Um, you know, like don't we need to sort of <laughs> get some of the people on the streets on the yoga mats and vice versa um so i i think that first of all any healing work that we're thinking of it's like what purpose is it serving because we've all got probably an infinite amount of healing work to do and if you make that your life's work i mean again it's a choice but if it's i i to me it has more meaning when it's got a purpose so i look to what's getting in the way of me showing up well in XR and take that to my therapeutic spaces, to my ceremony. Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, and it also brings up this kind of wider conversation, I think, about the different aspects on the left um, that I was thinking about in advance of this conversation. I could say more about, but. Please, please. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, George Lakoff wrote this wonderful and very easy to read book actually called Don't Think of an Elephant. It was about framing how you talk about things and how it will be understood and by whom. And within that, he talked about the different people on the so-called progressive left and their different focuses. So some are more anti-authority, some people more focused about the class system, some more about the environment and human rights and so on. And if you make your messaging very specific to one of those types, the others might miss it. And, and, to, and to use framing that is gonna, more people can understand it. And I, I've been thinking about that and also thinking, you know, about Ken Wilber's work where he's talking about the narcissism that holds back the green progressive left from moving into sort of the teal layer, if people know, I'm guessing no spiral dynamics in, uh, here um, and, and, ha and how that shows up. And I, I think I've just been sort of thinking about George's categories and thinking with those of us that focus, what I see in activism on the environmental movement and roughly three different groups, there's the more spiritual stroke cosmic left as they're sometimes called, right? Or sacred, whatever you wanna say, the more sort of radical left which would have people with anti-authoritarian leanings more into the sort of identity politics, I don't know, particularly that phrase, but anyway, anti-capitalist type orientation. And then there's a an, another category, I think, and I'm not saying any, you know, it's 
generalization is always a problem isn't it and i feel like i've got a foot in not that i've got three feet in each of these camps right i identify with each of them in different ways and then there's so there's one that's more about human rights it's got it's more leaning towards mainstream politics and the science and they all bring something of value and they all bring something problematic in my opinion and i think it would be really good for people to think about where they're more sitting and see what the strengths are and maybe what the shadows are within those. So that's the reason I asked you about the sacred activists. I see it as being really wanting to be led by the heart, by love, um, having a deep understanding of trauma and the need for inner work. Um, I don't always see a strong enough political theory a strong enough sense of how racism shows up, how what white privilege looks like, um, and sometimes that sort of moving into narcissism and indulgence, um, and and you know lack of clear purpose. So I, I, I'm talking about myself, right? <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody else. If anybody recognises this, fine. The radical left, let's say, there's I think in general has such a a fantastic analysis of what's going off and in the political political economy and are much more willing to stretch to meet and work with people from a different community so the sort of intersectional working um i'm not i but i think they're the lack of sacred um at times the anti-leadership type of vibe and sometimes quite a strong sense of superiority and self-righteousness is just like, ugh, you know, it's like, I don't want to go anywhere near that. Um, and then with the sort of more mainstream human rights piece, it can be much more focus on strategy, on leadership, people who put in vast hours, um, have a good link to the mainstream, can sort of understand how to just talk to ordinary people sort of thing. I think sometimes it can be very simplistic, again, like the sacred and not have the sort of anti-racism understanding and so on so you know if i think there's a piece of work needs to happen where people understand where they're more sitting and try and look outside of their bubble to other bits of the progressive left and we could have a really honest and beautiful dialogue about what what we need to what we bring both good and bad and and, and try and kind of have a bit of humility and togetherness around it very much so from your perspective what would bring these different groups together what would allow them what would motivate them or us uh, to engage in a dialogue uh, that is more than a debate oh, thank you i really love that dialogue more than a debate because it's debating is it's so tedious at times isn't it it's just like how can i win um yeah i I think first of all to recognize where we're sitting mostly and what judgments we're making about other people um i might have just said a whole pile of judgy things i hope not i think it's what i see anyway but um what assumptions we're making uh and 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 and, and ask ask of those other folks what they see in us what what assumptions judgments they may be making you know like let's so going into a space with um, humility and uh, a willingness to learn from each other, um, I think I think there's a healing needed. Do you also become, because we come to the end of our time here, do you see this happening 
is there something happening where you feel uh, there's the beginning of something uh, that really can be powerful? And if yes, what is it and where do you see it? Mm. I have a wonderful colleague called Skeena Rathor, who's leading co-liberation work for Extinction Rebellion, which is based on uh, some of this understanding, I guess, that um, that we need to heal and come together. And uh, I would say there's a lot of, there's quite a bit of resistance around and it's taken some time to define and get a program together. Um, one of the, th you, you know, this is, what, what once you're really clear about, for example, how racism or, you know, um, the oppression of disabled people or whatever shows up in a social movement, then sometimes there's this expectation that, okay, I've said my piece now, may it be healed? <laughs> well, I wish, but, you know, 5,000 years of patriarchy, it's not going to go away on one training session or one, like, light bulb moment. Um, or, or, so what we have to do is systematize the responses. So, um, you know, if, if a, let's say a disabled person says, you know, yet again, I came to this action and it wasn't working for me because of X, Y, and Z reasons, then, you know, what in our, what systemic changes do we need to make in how we organize? And, um, I see that work happening in XR. I wouldn't say it's strong enough or good enough, but I, I do I do see it happening. And I I think another thing that excites me is that you know we we do try and organize in a decentralized way. So we're a bit of humanity trying to work out a new way of constellating together, a new way of operating together. Uh, I asked Frederick Lalou for any advice and people who might help. And he said, Gail, I think, you know, Frederick Lalou from um, Reinventing Organisations. I know you know, Thomas, but just to say for the audience in case. Um, and he said, you know, I think you're, you guys are at the cutting edge uh, in terms of trying to do teal organising. And um, we, ha we have a piece of work happening in the UK in Extinction Rebellion that's, that's called the Systems Realignment Work that's had some funding where we're trying to look at how do you set up systems of feedback and learning, for example, systems of resource sharing. Uh, so, you know, systems of decision-making and, and so on. Um, I don't know that these things are going to go well, but I know that we're trying. Uh, what else can the divine ask of us but to try so and to enjoy it while we're doing it? At the very end of this conversation, I just want to ask you directly, what do you want, what do you ask want to be called to what do you what do you you want to call us to uh, uh, the audience of a uh, radio wolf uh, what should we pay attention to where should we go with this um i mean on a really practical level i want some people to decide not to pay their mortgages to take out credit cards with banks and then to give the money away to indigenous um uh support through survival internet so there's some cheeky stuff look up money rebellion uh and and see what we're planning um this is based in the uk at the minute so if you want to organize it in your country get in touch um and on a deeper level i i think it's a time in in the grief in the in the remorse um to to really reach for each other and um and find our imagination for the new things that are coming 
you know, find our longing for it and make it happen. We're amazing. <laughs> what an amazing species we are. Let's make it happen and, and find your um, your part in it. Um, and never use the word just about you. I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. You know, make your thing that you're doing as just because because it's as beautiful and as qualityful as possible just because um it's enjoyable to do that gail thank you very much for this conversation <laughs>